Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, the Lutheran confession of what Scripture teaches us about our faith. And to do that, also we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's got some busy times coming up ahead yeah. of him. We're glad he is joined us today. Yet? I want a yeah. nap. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you've got National Youth Gathering coming up, and yep, that's in for Minnesota, that right? And then, and then right after that, you turn right around, even not even a full week later, yep. then we have the Synod Convention. We're back for three days, and then we immediately for convention. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll be down at convention as well as I'm, I'm a pastoral delegate uh, for the circuit in the dual parish that I serve, and uh, so I'll be down there. We'll actually be doing a live from convention show while we're down there uh, with uh, all of the hosts of Concord Matters. So look forward to that in a couple weeks. That'll be that'll be pretty great. Uh, but then also I, I I should introduce the the other part of our cohort uh, here, <laughs> Pastor Jaime Nava, who is pastor at Concordia in Maplewood, Missouri, here St. Louis area. But we want to be proper and say that it's Maplewood because there's there's other Concordia churches out there too. Are there? Well, I mean none as good as yours with faithful <laughs> preaching, word and sacrament <laughs> week after week. But uh yeah, there's there's a few Concordias out there. Well, it's it's good to be here. We're we're glad to have you back. Second week in a row, yeah. stepping in last second, uh Pastor Peter Ill uh from Milstadt, uh who's usually with us as a part of the cohort uh had a funeral come up and so we understand that and uh we uh uh, are glad that you were able to step back in the last minute and uh, and help uh, complete our cohort here. And then I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and I serve the rural dual parish in southern Illinois of Emmanuel and St. Paul's. Um, and yeah, it's just great to be here continuing to talk about repentance, although we really need to make some progress here today, guys, because uh, someone poked me in this the will eye just be last a reading week. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Someone poked me in the eye last week. It was the Catholics, by the way, Roman Catholics. Um, but uh, yeah, I got pretty worked up and, and we just uh, we kind of went on for a while. But I think it was a good discussion, but uh, great continuing discussion as I continue to make the point. This is the hub of what the Reformation was all about. I think it was the hub. Uh, uh, I, I think I've made this point, you know, maybe even a month ago when we started this article or so, um, the hub of what Jesus was dealing with in the Pharisees at the time, um, uh, at, 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 in his earthly ministry, we see it and we still see it in the church today. And so we continue to talk about all of those, but especially as we read the immediate context is Martin Luther, who wrote the small called articles, which were in uh, part three, article three of repentance. And, uh, that immediate context was the Roman Catholic church at the time of the reformation there. Uh, but, uh, this is definitely, uh, something that, that is present in all times as we live in this sin broken world. We're going to pick up in paragraph 28, um, of again, small called articles, part three, article three of repentance, beginning in paragraph 28. However, before I do that, 
Um, I, I mentioned this last week. There's this uh, great book uh, called Studies in the Small Called Articles that has uh, some really helpful notes that as I've been digging into this, kind of preparing each week and so forth, um, I think there's a great introduction before we get into paragraph 28 um, that, that, that sets up especially the context at the time. And I think we can uh, maybe expand upon this as, as we do some reading as well. But this is, the, so not from the Book of Concord here, um, but uh, from, from another book uh, setting up where we're going to pick up in 28th is what it says. Before taking up the next paragraph, it will be well to recall briefly what the schoolmen, that is the scholastic theologians, the, the Roman Catholic theologians, taught about sin. Luther summarized it in Article 1 of Part 3 of the Small Called Articles under the heading of sin. They taught, for instance, that original sin did not mean a total corruption of the human nature in spiritual matters. I know that we definitely hit that point when we we're covering that mm -hmm. article. Uh, rather, the natural powers of man remained intact, though weakened. They taught that man's reason was not blinded and his will was not fettered. Man still has freedom of choice to do good or evil as he pleases. They taught that man by his natural powers can keep all the commandments of God and can even love God above all things and his neighbor as himself. They taught that if a man tried honestly and did as much as was in him, then God would certainly grant him his grace so that he could do more. Yes, they even taught that with the help of the Holy Spirit, man could progress so far in good works that he would do more than he needed for himself to merit salvation. So that's the... That's the teachings of the church at the time. There's we, a lot of head shaking going on yeah. over here. Yeah, Pastor Nava <laughs> is no, just like, no, this oh. is bad. And we talked some about this last week and, and the previous weeks as well. And again, covered that all the way back there in Article 1 of Part 3 of Sin that, you know, th this is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and it's still present in a lot of their teaching today uh, that, uh, you know, Christ kind of makes it possible for you. But, but it's up to you to do the work and that you can even do so much good work that you have more than you need, uh, which will help us understand then what Martin Luther gets into here. Uh, but before we do, Layman Slate wants well, to chime in. Just a quick comment. I, I think it can be very easy for us sometimes to to look at this stuff and say, look, it's so clear from Scripture what what Scripture says about sin and, and what it is. But when, when we take this step back and say, okay, here's what they were teaching about sin, from their own system, it, it totally makes sense that they would have these indulgences and the penance and and all of that structure because of what they're teaching about what sin is. And so I think it's, we, we want to avoid the temptation of saying, how dumb are these people? You could just read the Bible and there it is. They should be able to see this as clearly as I do. Um, and yet, that's we, we, we don't want to do that. What, what's actually going on here is here's what they're teaching about sin. Okay, look, it totally makes sense that they'd have this repentance thing messed up then and that they'd have this penance thing and now you've got this indulgences added on and there's this constant doubt that's being introduced into it well okay yeah if, if you're going to start with sin in that way it totally makes sense where you'd end up there that's an interesting thought that i hadn't thought of was uh, the line that you had in there you know we might be tempted to say well how dumb are these people and you know again 
in evaluating sin or, or error and things like that, sometimes it's really helpful to be self-evaluative, right? You know, it's kind of that whole log in my eye, speck in their eye kind of thing, you know, and, and, and just see, well, how dumb am I sometimes, right? And, <laughs> and there's a beautiful uh, side to this as well in the sense that, you know, we want to be able to trust our pastors. I, I want the parishioners entrusted to my care to trust what they are hearing preached to them, taught to them and things like that. Now, we also need to exercise discernment and that's certainly commended to us in scripture as well, but there's a beautiful side to that. But yeah, when you take a look at the teachings and, and again, to go back to Jesus with the Pharisees, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you see Jesus even, you know, with those who are under this teaching, he's, he's a lot more gentle with them and he, and he delivers them from the error and he heals them and, and, and it bears much fruit and so forth, but he's a lot more harsh with the teachers of Israel, uh, who have wickedly perverted these things. And so sometimes, you know, we, we, we are even tempted to get scandalized at how forcefully Luther talks about this, or we've talked about when we went through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the the snark writing of uh, Melanchthon <laughs> and so forth, and and, and and that can be scandalizing. I know I know good, well-meaning parishioners, Lutheran parishioners, that get a little scandalized when they see, wow, Luther actually wrote that, and it's like, again, it's kind of the Jesus, you know, you brood of vipers versus, oh, you poor child of Israel who has been distorted by this perverted teaching, and so, mm-hmm. and that's why it's important to be you know, to, to attack the error as well, because then we get the true deliverance that Christ comes to bring. Right. Pastor Nava, I know I said we were going to go on, but do you have anything to add before we, we jump into let's the reading? Here? Let's, let's All right. Let, let's actually get some reading done this week. All right. All right. I like it. Thanks for being on our show. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Paragraph 28. Now, some did not believe themselves guilty of actual sins in thought, word, and deeds. I and people like me in monasteries, uh, that me being Martin Luther, who's writing this in the smoke called articles and religious communities wanted to be monks and priests. We fought against evil thoughts by doing such things as fasting, staying awake, praying, saying mass, wearing coarse garments and sleeping on hard beds In total sincerity and with great effort, we wanted to be holy. Yet the hereditary inborn evil sometimes came out in sleep, as happens. St. Augustine and St. Jerome, among others, also confessed this. Those are early church fathers, as we've talked about in this show. Still, each one held the other in high esteem. According to our teaching, some monks were regarded as holy, without sin, and full of good works. Also, since we had more good works than we needed to get to heaven, we could communicate and sell our good works to others. This is actually true. Seals, letters, and examples are at hand to prove that this happened. Here, the immediate context being at the time of the Reformation when Martin Luther is writing this. These holy ones did not need repentance. What would they repent of since they had not indulged their wicked thoughts? What would they confess about words they never said? What should they render satisfaction for since they were so guiltless that they could even sell their extra righteousness to poor sinners? In the time of Christ, the Pharisees and scribes were these kinds of saints, citing Matthew 23. And so uh, I'm going to pause there, but, you know, a lot to, I love what he says here, too. You know, he's, he's even got a little subtle snark to it. You know, is, this is the teaching that you can be so holy and that some actually achieve this. And, and, and out of total sincerity, you know, this is why you have the monasteries and they're doing all these, you know, very pious living and so forth, which has its benefits, as we talked about and so forth. But, but it can't it can't merit salvation for you or anybody else. But, you know. 
the, just the idea that you could be sinless. And he's like, and yet sometimes it comes out in my sleep. <laughs> it's just like, it, this is the depth of the human nature in, in the sinful nature. It comes out even in my sleep. And, and if you're listening to this and, and thinking, you know, yeah, I, I can be pretty good, you know. <laughs> that, that's always a question that comes up is like, okay, well, if I dreamed about it, I don't have control over my dreams. Is it still a sin? Well, this is why he quotes, he says, Augustine and St. Jerome also confess this. So these are... And calls fathers, them saints. Saints. The because Roman they've Catholic been deemed so respected. holy. And yeah. so these guys, he's saying, look, I'm not the one saying this. To ask, <laughs> ask Augustine, ask Jerome or Augustine, depending on who you want to pronounce that name with. But, you know, you ask these guys and the Roman Catholic Church is going to be like, well, I, I mean, he, you can't say he's wrong because he's quoting these guys and you could find it. And so, yeah, it's uh, even even the Roman Catholic Church has to say, well, okay, yeah, even monks and and certain saints, well, they're going to have these issues even in their sleep sometimes. So, so, so the answer is yes, it is still sinful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. And and see this, we talked about this once again all the way back there in part three, article one on sin. If you get this article wrong, right, that mm-hmm. the article of sin. Then everything else falls apart, you know. <laughs> and, and once you identify sin as only the outward things that I do that are wrong, and, and we definitely still see this or in that the I church do with today, my right? Will, where it's right. like I intentionally do that, right? Yeah, you know. And 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 we all have this. I mean, it, there, there's there's something inside of all of us that wants to say I'm a pretty good person, mm. you know. And and I can I can be good enough to be good for God, right? It, it, I I feel that tension in myself, and I know I'm not the only crazy one that that has that tension right <laughs> uh, and we want to 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 have that sense about ourselves but that itself is very much connected to this inborn uh original sin that is so deep in me right mm. and and when you understand that then you begin to understand all sorts of other things you know i was just thinking as i was driving up here today too you know isn't it amazing how often you know we get so surprised by people we know that that do something sinful now now here i'm talking about the outward act of sin right you know they they commit adultery or, you know, especially when it happens with, uh, you know, famous people and so forth, things that it's a false relationship. But, you know, we think we have a relationship with them because <laughs> we really like the work that they do and things like that. Right? I know that person. Yeah. Right. No, and I then all it. of a sudden it comes out that they're a total pervert. Right. And everything. And we get so scandalized by this. And it's like, yeah. why are you so scandalized? Know the depths of the sinful nature. Right. It's It's in all of us. Right. And, and, and especially if you get that wrong, th- then you, you can't get this idea that they're so holy that they're beyond, you know, falling and things like that. Well, I, I think that's one of the reasons that we see it as so scandalous is because we see ourselves as not that bad. And it's like, well, I would never do that. Therefore, since that person did it, how much worse of a person are they that they would do that thing, whatever it is? Well, I would never do that. But once again, we're actually getting sin wrong, and then we're going to get our repentance wrong, since we're talking about repentance here, because we don't properly see ourselves. We shouldn't be scandalized when we see that. We should repent and say, that could be me. There but for the grace of God, that same sin is in me. That same inclination, that same tendency is in me. I could do that. And thank God, and only by the grace of God have I not done that. And, and communicating, I mean, he says at the end of paragraph 29, he says, um, the Pharisees and scribes were these kinds of saints. So working along with that, you know, we would say, well, if I were around in Jesus' time, of course I'd be 
One of the good ones. Right. Like, I'd be on the good team. I wouldn't get it wrong. I think Peter says something along that, you know, along those lines. Lord, I will never leave you. Right? How did that work out for him? Not well. And yeah, then there's so. then there's the confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Get behind me, Satan. And immediately <sighs> after that, it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I. I, I uh, I had the one-year lectionary in my uh, dual parish that I serve there in Southern Illinois. And this past Sunday, we had the epistle reading from First Timothy, where St. Paul writes about, you know, I was a blasphemer, right? You know, I, I was a persecutor of the church. And, you know, I, I said, you know, sometimes it's difficult. I, in my sermon, I preached on that text. Uh, I said that, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult for us, I know, in my own life to identify with that. Because I say, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't murdered anyone. I didn't have, you know, like the first martyr of the Christian church put to death while I held the cloaks, right? You know, like St. Paul, you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything outwardly that bad, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not even denying, this is our temptation, especially as Lutherans. I'm not even denying that I'm a sinner. I'm just not that bad of a sinner, right? right. Yep. And so, you know, it's, it's difficult for, you know, and then he has that great line, you know, this saying is trustworthy that Christ came into the world to save sinners, right? And and that's the great hub of that text. And I said, you know, of the, whom the, I'm the foremost. Doesn't right. he say that exactly. right after that? He's like, and I'm the worst of them. <laughs> exactly. And I said, and that, you know, that's that was the difficult rub as in my own life too, is that I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm not the worst sinner. Yeah. You know, I'm definitely not on the level of Saint Paul. But see here's the difference between Saint Paul is that he did those things in ignorance and I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm, yeah. And guess what? You know, I, I haven't always kept the third commandment, right? You mm -hmm. know. I haven't always kept the fourth commandment. I, I haven't kept any of the commandments. <laughs> and especially when you understand that Jesus himself directs it, you know, this expansive, that he does say it is even in the thoughts, you know, addressing this in my sleep bit. Right. The, the great Sermon on the Mount. You know, he says, you've heard it said you shall not murder your brother. Right. But I say that anyone who has hatred for his brother. Right. You know, so the thoughts are in there. Right. Angry, at, yeah, him. angry yeah. at him. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and then, you know, same thing with with lust. Right. You just know, having so the thought it just itself. pops in your head. Right. And uh, and it's like, wow, you know, well, I can't be responsible for that. Well, no, you are. Jesus himself says so. One one heartening thing along this line, too, is to understand, like you had mentioned, Jesus came to save sinners. If you don't think you're that bad, then you don't think you need that much of Jesus. When we realize that the depth of our sin is when we realize just how much God gives in his son. So, you know, if you don't think you're really bad as a sinner then maybe you're not all that great as a Christian either. <laughs> because that means you don't need Christ if you're not that bad of a sinner. Right. You don't need that much of a savior if yeah. you're not that bad of a exactly. sinner. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we get, again, we get scandalized, you know, when, when, oh, you know, I, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not, you know, I'm actually a pretty good guy, right? You know, that's what we all want to think about ourselves. But the reality is, is that when we're honest about, when we confess our sin, which is the same say, to say the same thing as, right, which we talk about on the show all the time because these are the Lutheran confessions. We're, we're saying the same thing that Scripture says and teaches, right? And so when we confess our sin, when we say with God, yeah, I really am that bad, then the good news, and this this was the, the easy gospel, like easiest gospel ever that I had in my sermon this past Sunday was, guess what? Jesus is for you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so go ahead and be honest, you know, and that's the great joy in my life is when I really 
realize the depth of this in myself, then, oh, yeah, well, guess what? Because Jesus came into the world for this one reason, yep. right? And this is also the reason why it's so important to get this right on the nature of repentance and so forth. We're not trying to make you feel down and, and, and drive you into despair by this, but actually that you would find true hope, the hope of the gospel. And and any teaching that distorts that, well, we're going to get into it here in a second. It's devilish lies. It's satanic. It's bad. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm trying to remember. I You're think never wrong. The, oh, yeah. I'll correct you. <laughs> yeah, you will. The, in the context, uh, when Luther says sin boldly, this is what he's talking about. So he's, we're not saying, well, in order, okay, so if I need to have a whole lot of Jesus, then I have to be a really bad sinner. So therefore... I should go sin, right? Sin boldly. Right. And Paul says something about this in Romans 6. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No way, Jose. I think it's what he says. I, I believe that's an actual that, literal translation. Yeah, no yeah, way, the, Jose. The, the, At yeah. least, you know, for those of us who are from Southern California yeah. like yourself, <laughs> that's right. maybe that's the uh, that's right. SoCal uh, translation yeah, there. I'm I don't pretty know. sure that's faithful to the original Greek. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, okay. No way, Jose uh, yeah. uh, translation. So, but... Uh, uh, so You're dead right. The yeah. context of Luther's talking about when he says sin boldly, he doesn't mean go out and sin, but he's saying that Jesus came for sinners. And so we have to, if we don't see ourselves within that realm, we're, 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 we're off. We're off. Yeah, it's the nature, again, what the article is all about, of true repentance. And uh, I, true story, I actually know of someone that, that came to me once with that Martin Luther line. And they're like, so does this mean that, you know, um, you know, uh, having an affair, you know, outside of my marriage, you know, that that's okay. Uh, Good on you, like, mate. I was Wait like, a minute. no, no, no. Let, let's talk about this. <laughs> right. Here. All right. I mean, we, we have a serious problem. So if, if that's the interpretation, you're fly getting, out the right. window. Danger, right. Danger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, right. Yeah. Th this right understanding is, is that, you know, uh, recognize, confess, you know, turn in repentance mm. of just, yeah, I can't, I can't even go to sleep without sinning, right? Or as Martin Luther would also say in other places, right? You know, even my best works are tainted with sin, right? Maybe I have selfish motivations. People think, oh, how great. It doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to do. It just means that I'm still sinning in the doing of it, right? It's just the depths of our sin. So go ahead and confess that, right? That's the sin boldly. Like, go, go ahead and say, yeah, this is terrible. I am a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> but guess what? Jesus is for you. Maybe that'll be our show title today. I don't know. Ooh, I like that. So I, I remember listening to the radio years ago in Southern California, and I heard these guys talking, and one guy's like, oh, man, I don't think I've sinned in like seven years. This was not a Roman Catholic radio station either. Mm. This was an evangelical radio station. The guy <laughs> says, I haven't sinned in seven. I'm like, what? Like, I'm driving in my car, and I, that just stuck out in my brain. Like, what? I, I couldn't compute that. I, I didn't get it. Now, I wasn't Lutheran at the time, so I was still learning. So I had to do some homework on that. But it's this is there's a lot of people out there that look at the Christian life in that way, you know. So we, we shouldn't sin. And Jesus didn't, you know, he said, um, oh, what is it? Be perfect, right? As, As your heavenly father. And he's not going to give us a command that we can't fulfill. So, of course, we can be perfect. Right, we can fulfill the law in this way. This is this is the angle that some people come at it. In you're you're absolutely right that this teaching definitely is out there, and I know that one of the reasons we have Layman Slayton on this show is, is because he kind of comes out of this background. Not because it? I confess those things, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. because oh. he has repented from those yeah. things. Oh, okay. But uh, no, yeah, and, and and yeah, that that thinking definitely is out there, and, and it even plays out in terms of. 
you know, kind of the worship war kind of thing and so forth. But but how we view what we do when we gather together as church, right? Sure. You know, am I coming to give my praise and to kind of show my saintliness, right? Uh, you know, of, of how much I praise God or, or what is church even for? Maybe it's more fundamental than that. What is, what is church for, you know? Well, yeah, you know, some may need to come for an altar call kind of thing, right? You know, but I, I did that months ago and I've been pretty good now, you know, the, the, the same church bodies that have that theology will talk about backsliding and need for rebaptism and, and those things are out there, but it all comes from this same idea of misdiagnosis of sin and the sinful nature and, and my own ability to, kind of achieve those good works on my own. Now, right? I know I said we should keep reading, but before we get there, this also ties into the importance of the sacraments. If you have a misunderstanding of the sacraments where you say, I'm going to get baptized again, I'm going to be rebaptized, who's doing the work? In that context, it becomes me doing the work for God. And so it's, I want to be rebaptized because I want to rededicate myself to God. I'm going to really do it this time. And this is what I love about, I mean, scripture, but you know, Lutheran theology and teaches the importance of you. It's not about you. Yes. Lord's supper, baptism, those are good works, but who's doing the work? It's not our work. It's God's work for us. And so we have that that peace that the burden is no longer on our shoulders anymore to be good and great and awesome, you know, for Jesus and everybody around. We still have the obligation to serve our neighbor, but we don't have it in such a way where we, uh, you know, we need to do everything. I love how you brought in the sacraments, especially as I brought up the whole issue of, you know, what we do when we gather together as church and so forth. And one, one of the lines connected more directly with the Lord's Supper in terms of this is when, when you have the right diagnosis of my sinful condition and how it is dealt with, and it's God's work that he does, you know, uh, through the means of his word and sacraments, right, in me, right, that he does this in me, uh, making me holy, making the works that I do in faith, uh, even be in faith, right? Uh, but Ron Forhan, a professor uh, in seminary, uh, uh, now sainted and so forth, that uh, he used to talk about the Lord's Supper this way. He's like, you just view it as, you know, it's dropping little bombs, blowing up all my sin. <laughs> it just, I love the imagery of that. But uh, with that, we'll just go ahead and uh, just take a hard break. We'll go on a break, but please come on back as we continue to confess this beautiful truth of Christ for us. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Hello, 
This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Last month, hundreds of volunteers gathered along the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool on the National Mall to unfold a facsimile of what is believed to be the world's longest illustrated Bible. The Wiedmann Bible, completed in 2000 by the late German artist Willy Wiedmann, features a continuous illustrated narrative of the Old and New Testament in 3,333 diverse and colorful images. The 19 accordion-style books called Leporellos were unfurled over nearly a mile at the historic unveiling. In addition to the volunteers, hundreds of onlookers took in the scene. Many exposed for the first time to the Christian Bible's narratives being told exclusively through art. Engage with this book of books and its continuing impact and influence. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters, where we have a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians. Pastor Jaime Nava, who's pastor at Concordia in Maplewood here in the St. Louis, Missouri area. And myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host, and I serve the Rural Dual Parish of Emmanuel and St. Paul's in Southern Illinois. We had a cohort to start this show. However, I did mention at the beginning of the show that Layman Slayton, Peter Slayton, uh, social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, has a busy couple of weeks coming up, and they're so busy that he actually had to go do some work uh, right in the middle of the show. So we thank him for the first half of the show and, and the thoughts that he had to share, and and, uh, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll just uh, carry on as a couple down from the cohort now. But that's okay. Uh, I'm glad I got you along oh, here, Pastor. Oh, thanks, man. Pastor Nava. The burden we bear, you know. Yeah. All right, so that was a great discussion on all of two paragraphs. And I said we were going to make some progress this week. So maybe with just a couple of us now, we'll actually uh, bear down here. So are you, are you blaming? Uh, no, not at all. I'm blaming myself oh, okay. Uh, okay. because I'm the host of the show. So the, the responsibility comes on me right. for not pushing us along. But, but when there's good discussion... I want it. Bring it. And now I'm just wasting time. So let's get on with it. All right. So we are in the small called articles written by Martin Luther himself. And we're in part three, article three of repentance. And I'm picking up with paragraph 30. But here comes the fiery angel of St. John, Revelation 10, citing Revelation 10, the true preacher of repentance with one bolt of lighting. He it's just it's so, so such beautiful imagery. Sorry. With one bolt of lightning. He hurls together both those spelling and the, those selling and those buying works. He says, repent, citing Matthew 3, 20, 3, 2 here. Now one group imagines, why? We have repented. 
The other says, we need no repentance. John says, repent both of you, you (laughs) false penitents and false saints. Both of you need the forgiveness of sins. Neither of you know what sin really is, much less your duty to repent of it and shun it. For no one of you is good. You're full of unbelief, stupidity, and ignorance of God and God's will. All right, pausing there. That sounds like John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That sounds like John. It also sounds very much like Luther. And remember how I said, you know, when when you consider your audience and purpose, right? uh, Who are you talking to here? And, and, And here he's clearly talking to those who are impenitent because they're saying they don't need repentance and they're teaching others that they don't and that they can achieve perfection and 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 have good works worthy to god and so forth and so yeah it, it sounds harsh because it is it's it's a harsh call to repentance when there has not been repentance is this a part of evangelism is this was this an evangelism explosion or what was that uh i don't know no. where are you going with this <laughs> i'm kidding I'm all right <laughs> no. okay he's pretty heavy on the laws yeah oh uh, yeah okay all right moving forward But he is present here of whose fullness we have all received grace upon grace, citing John 1.16. Without him, no one can be righteous before God. Therefore, if you want to repent, repent rightly. Uh, there's a pastor Peter ill and my repenter is broken. You know, he loves to always bring that up and, uh, we can't even get repentance. Right. Right. But, uh, uh, repenting rightly is, is clinging to Christ, which is the point that we're making here. All right. Continuing on your works of penance will accomplish nothing as for you hypocrites who do not need repentance. You serpents brood who has assured you that you will escape the wrath to come and other judgments. Citing Matthew 3, 7 and Luke 3, 7. That's where Jesus talks in those ways. In the same way, Paul also preaches. So that, that was that's how John preaches. Yep. All right. Yep. That sounds a lot like him. Uh, and, and now moving on to how Paul preaches. In the same way, Paul also preaches. None is righteous. Nope. Not one. Well, the nope is me. It says no, not one. <laughs> no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Romans three ten through 12. And God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Citing Acts 17.30. All people, he says. No one is an exception who is a human being. This repentance teaches us to discern sin. We are completely lost. There is nothing good in us from head to foot, and we must become absolutely new and different people. All right, I'm going to pause there. I, I, I love the, the full depth of this, and, and, and knowing our Lutheran confessions is really important, because I, I can tell you, I've had this pastoral conversation many times, right? You, you preach about sin, right? You talk about sin, and, and you deliver them to the gospel as well, and hey, like I said, my sermon this past Sunday, hey, guess what? Good good news for you. When you when you recognize the depth of your sin, Christ is for you. Yeah, that, yeah. That's really good news, right? Um, but uh, yet, I still, you know... It, and again, it's it's just well-meaning people, but we get so influenced by the world around us. And, and it happens to me, too, so I know what this is like. You know, we get so influenced by the world. It says, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. Are, are you saying there's no hope for me, Pastor? Or, or not even for me? Are, are you just saying there's no hope, that there's nothing we can do but sin? And it's like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you've got it right. And, and why do I say that? Because our Lutheran confessions say that? Because Scripture says that. And, and I recognize that there are other church bodies and other 
are pastors out there that don't confess this. That was the problem with the Roman Catholic Church. That was the problem with the Pharisees at the time, right? Um, but yeah, you're, you're full of sin, and you really do need Jesus. And it's really good news for you, so just be honest about it. I, I read a comic recently, thanks to the internet. Um, there was a parishioner shaking the pastor's hand. He said, Pastor, that was a great sermon. The guy two pews in front of me really needed to hear that. Yeah. You know, uh, the... I think it's it's not a matter of only of, of sin and, and these things, but it, there's a when you mix your theologies together that shouldn't be mixed, like law and gospel. When you start to put the two things uh, s- together when they shouldn't be together, uh, this is where the problem comes in. So, in the sense of like who we are as human beings, because of the curse, we can say yes, there's nothing good in us, and part of us wants to say, but. But 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 there's something good. It's like no no, we'll get to the good stuff. Okay, it's not like it doesn't exist. But in this point that we're making right here, is there's nothing good in you, and that's this is what I love about these small called articles. It really helps to define. It doesn't um uh what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't divide, but it distinguishes. It helps us to know, okay, we're in this realm talking about this topic. Now we're in this realm. But when they start to bleed over, that's where theologies in places start to get kind of funny. Yeah, we, we definitely don't want to confuse law and gospel. This is a dangerous thing. I have yeah. a fun story to, to kind of help cement this this image, right? You know, because the, these things like are helpful in sermons. Right? Yeah, so I, I was once watching uh, uh, some friends of mine, their, their dog, and they also had a cat, and it was a black and white cat. And I now have one of these, too. Um, but uh, the dog liked to play with a black and white cat. But one morning I let the dog out. And it went after what it thought was a black and white cat, you know, that it's used to playing with, but it was a skunk. And, you know, the image came to my mind. It's like, yeah, that's like confusing law gospel. You don't want to make that mistake, right? Because, and you're right, you know, when when we get this diagnosis wrong, right? When we we get it wrong, it's going to have a smelly consequence that just sticks with you, right? And it's going to lead you into a whole lot of places like that dog being stuck outside or having vinegar dumped all over it and things like, you know, because it, it just, it, it leads to unhappiness um, when when we get this wrong. We 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 don't want to become forceful about it, will you? Um, you know, to to kind of beat folks over the head. But but it really does have real consequences um, when when you get the the understanding of it wrong. You're just going to end up in places that are just heretical. And and what we are ultimately afraid of is that last day, right? And I don't mean afraid of like we're afraid of the last day because as Christians, we look forward to it with hope, right? But if we have a wrong understanding, if I'm looking forward to that last day that I'm going to stand before God and he's going to look at me and all the things that I've done and, and we hear those scripture words said all the time and again, well-meaning, but you know, he'll look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the, the direction's wrong there. You've confused law of gospel because who's he looking at? He's looking at his son, Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And any works that I've done are only good because they've been done in faith in him, right? Because he's the only one that is perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. And that's the only hope that we have on the last day. And so if I'm under teaching or if I'm under the understanding that I'm going forward to my death or that last day on the basis of the goodness of my works, I'm going to be in for a rude awakening on that last day. And that day will be a day of terror because it will be a day met not in faith, Right. And so we want to cling to Jesus, his all sufficient righteousness. Did you have anything else on here before we move on? Let's do it. All right. We are making some progress now. All right. Moving forward, picking up with paragraph 36, part three, article three of repentance in the small called articles. 
Such repentance is not partial and beggarly, like that which does penance for actual sins, nor like that is it uncertain, for it does not debate what is or is not sin. Rather, it hurls everything together and says, everything in us is nothing but sin. There's nothing in us that is not sin and guilt, citing Romans 7.18. What is the use of always investigating, dividing, and distinguishing? This contrition is certain, for we cannot think of any good thing to pay for sin. There is nothing left. There is only a sure despairing about all that we are, think, speak, do, and so on. Confession, too, cannot be false, uncertain, or fragmentary. A person who confesses that everything in him is nothing but sin, includes all sins, excludes none, forgets none. I'm going to pause there just to, just to say this is why the Lutheran confession of sins that we use in our divine services and our synodically approved hymn books, right, ought to be there and not changed because it gets it right, right? You know, earlier we heard in thought, word, and deed, our, our, our confession of sin reflects that, right? Um, and, and that, you know, I by nature am sinful and unclean, right? Uh, that there's, there's no worth in me before God, our Heavenly Father. That's a true nature of sin. And I've seen in places and churches where they change the confession of sins and so forth, they go down this path where they start listing specific sins, which is something we specifically want to avoid as Lutherans because Scripture doesn't just talk about things that I do in sin, but it talks about our nature. That even, you know, laying on the, my bed at sleep, right? You know, that I'm sitting there, right? You know, even just kind of being mindless at times, still still full of sin, Right. Thoughts. Yeah, so it's it's this understanding of it's not just what you do, but it's who you are at the core. So it's not it's not the fruit that's coming off the tree alone. It's what kind of tree are you, and and that's what Luther is getting at. And the, the heart of this is that you're a bad tree, not just because you have bad apples. You're just a bad tree, and obviously you're going to make bad apples. Whereas the, the people he's writing against are saying, well, repent of your apples, right? Because you're, you're as a tree, you're all, you know, you're mixed, you know. You, and Which is exactly what our world still teaches us, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I didn't mean to derail you. Keep oh, going no, if you uh, had it. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, like our individual confession and absolution. I think the way Luther explains it in the small catechism, he says, look, if you can't think of anything, you know, you can work your way through the commandments, but... If you're really struggling to think about a specific sin, don't try to make stuff up. Like, you don't have to try to really think hard about something that you may or may not have done just so that you can make sure you're doing something in confession. You just know that deep down, you are, you, you have no good in you. This is who you are by nature. Right, which is another helpful place to talk about what we do when we gather together as church, right? And 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 we've made this point on the show before, and and so forth that uh, you know the the confession and absolution as a part of the the liturgy of the church is really a Lutheran innovation. It's one of the very few innovations. Everything else we retained, we got rid of all the bad stuff, but because confession 
and absolution then also as well. Uh, again, misdiagnosis and so, you know, wrong treatment as well. Um, but uh, because confession had become so distorted under the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they found after the Reformation that uh, it just wasn't being used at all. And they're more specifically in mind, probably private confession and absolution. And so Luther says, we're going to make this innovation into the liturgy and bring in, although it had been present, certainly even in the Old Testament, we see examples examples of this in the liturgy of God's people worshiping the Old Testament. So it's not a complete innovation, but Luther brings in the general confession and absolution that we do in the service. And it is broad, right? As we've talked about here that, you know, there's just nothing in me. I, a poor, miserable sinner, and, and I know a lot of folks that aren't Lutherans and even some Lutherans, you know, like they like to make fun of this and like, oh, yeah, I'm a measly little worm today you know, and everything. But no, I really am. See, and it's good news because that means Jesus is for me. And so let's be honest about this and and let's think about the words that we're saying, not just go through the motions, but think about what is it I'm confessing here? Yeah, that there is no good in me, but that's good news because Jesus is for me. But then to your point too, we we still have private confession absolution. I know that we've talked about this on this show. You know, I've been with it maybe five, six years now and back in the large catechism, we were even talking about this. Luther has a brief exhortation to go to confession and there he specifically means private confession and absolution with a pastor. And uh, and he actually talks in there too, you know, when you realize this is the Sean Smith paraphrase version here, <laughs> uh, when you realize what a treasure this is, you'll run to your pastor and beat down his door and demand, hear my confession, right? But but you're, you're I love bringing in the small catechism here. We, we used to have Pastor Apple on the show. He would he would always bring in the small catechism. I appreciated that from him. And now I'm glad that uh, you've, you've done that as well. Small catechism, again, probably more in mind that individual confession and absolution. Um, so it doesn't deny the depth of my depravity in sin, right, in this sense. But uh, but but, you know that when I have these specific sins that are burdening my conscience and, and there again, because of the wrong teaching, as we've already seen in this section of the small called articles, you know, they're trying to be holy in sincerity. He says back in paragraph 28 in sincerity, they're doing these things. Right. Um, and so they're going to confession and, and Martin Luther would spend all day, you know, even, you know, like, and he's, thinks he gets them all and then remembers a few or a few happen in his mind as he's sitting there in confession. And so like, he just keeps going on and on and it's an honest sincerity because of it. It, It's coming up here. It totally gets into what we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to finish my thought here because it's my show. You're you're doing great. No, (laughs) but uh, I do want to get onto it. But, uh, but, but yeah, when it comes to this, you know, yeah, don't, don't make up stuff, you know, just say, yeah, I'm a sinner and it's really bugging me that I'm a sinner. And then just hear that good news. Right. Right. Um, but uh, but also in terms of the specific sins that are burdening your conscience. Yeah. Just confess those, too. Right. And, and, and be done with it and move on. And that's that's kind of his point there in the small catechism. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, long excursus on on a point that I think is very much related to what he's talking about here. You know, when you get this distorted teaching, all these sorts of things happen. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll get into it now. Picking up with paragraph 38, part three, article three of repentance in the small called articles. Neither can the satisfaction be uncertain, because it is not our uncertain sinful work. Rather, it is the suffering and blood of the innocent Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, citing John one twenty nine. This, oh, sorry, did, you oh, want to jump in? Yeah, so, so paragraph thirty seven. I, I wanted to jump oh. in there because that's where you were. That's where I, I saw I you going. Yeah, okay. Is it par- uh, paragraph thirty seven where um, he says a person who confesses that everything in him is nothing but sin includes all sins. 
and he excludes none and forgets none. So when you confess who you are at the core, I'm a bad tree, not a bad apple. You know, I, I don't know, I'm mixing things here. But when you confess who you are at the core, you, then, you know, what, what Luther says here is you're not missing any sins. So when you're like, oh, man, I, I, I think I did this, but eh, I, I'm not sure. If I, oh, you're driving home, you're like, oh, I forgot to confess this sin. Luther's like, it was included in your confession because you confessed that you were a poor, miserable sinner. And that includes all of these things uh, as a part of that. So you you include all, exclude none, and you forget none, which is which is really um, freeing. It, it just releases that burden. Right. And, and this is why I love the Lutheran rite for individual confession and absolution. So we certainly have talked about how in the general confession, that which we do in the, the context of the liturgy, we don't nullify the place of individual confession and absolution for specific sins. But even when we get there, right? I love what you said there. If you're driving home and you realize, oh, I forgot to confess this. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's included. That's a great thought. And, 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 and the Lutheran right for this is based on Luther's small catechism. Mm-hmm. Isn't this amazing how we just like have these wonderful resources put together and the church is used for, for a length of time that is, is faithful and covers these things. But in that right, it says, um, it, it begins this way. Um, well, you, you can prepare yourself by meditating on the Ten Commandments and pray the penitential Psalms, uh, which is 632, 38, 51, so on and so on, right? But then the first words that it said are actually on the penitent coming for confession, right? And so I usually just hand the hymnal um, to to those who come to me for this. And sometimes they don't even realize they're coming for confession. I kind of lead them to it. And I was like, hey, guess what? We have something really beautiful that might be helpful for you here, right? In yeah, pastoral yeah, care. That's good. Um, but uh, so then I hand the hymnal to them and I just stand there silently and it gets awkward and you can cut the tension with a knife and then they realize oh i'm supposed to start this but it's actually a beautiful thing this is what they say pastor please hear my confession and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill god's will and then i just simply say proceed (laughs) and then they proceed and then they have a general confession here that's written out for them it's very beautiful and this is why i actually want them to use it it's a, a it's a liturgical thing as they're used to from our church services on sunday and it starts out with this i a poor sinner Plead guilty before God of all sins. See, you covered it. Yep. If, if you're driving home and you realize, oh, I forgot to confess this, it's okay. It's okay. This is, this is why we use the liturgy. It saves us from ourselves. It saves me as a pastor all the time when my mind's just not in it on Sunday and things like that. Or maybe I, I drop a clunker of a sermon and things like that. But, but even here, my pastoral care, right? If we just make use of these wonderful resources, it saves us from ourselves. And it confesses exactly what we confess that Scripture teaches us is actually true. It's a good hymnal, yeah. yeah. And, and it's it takes the focus off of... Like, oh, did I did I confess it? I confess it. I do. Oh, I forgot to say this thing. It's like, well, the the point of going to confession is not making sure that you you spelled out X, Y, and Z and dotted the I's and, and crossed your T's. The point of going to confession is to hear that you are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that you are absolved. So in, in cha- uh, paragraph thirty eight, neither can satisfaction be uncertain. Because it's not our uncertain sinful work. It's not a, this is cool. It's not about you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. But you're not the center of the Christian story. And you'll find out that that's actually really good news. 
<laughs> That's beautiful. I love what it goes into here in paragraph it, 40, so it. I'm going to get it, because it, it expands upon this point really quite beautifully. I mean, it just gives me such comfort. I got a funeral coming up. Pastor Ill had a funeral today, and, and, and it's just beautiful. So let's get on with it. All right, so picking up paragraph 39 now, though. This is the repentance John the Baptist preaches, citing Matthew 3, 1 through 12. And afterward, Christ does this in the gospel, Mark 1, verse 15. It's a conspiracy. They're all in on it together. John and Jesus. And guess what? Paul's in there, too. Yeah. And so do we. So do we. We still confess this. Keep confessing, church. That's how I end every show, right? We're going to keep confessing this. By this preaching of repentance, we dash to the ground, the Pope, and everything built upon our good works. That's kind of a backhand slap against the Pope, but yeah. it's true. It's true. Uh, this is the teaching. Well, yeah, maybe it's an overhand. <laughs> all right. For all of that is built upon a rotten and vain foundation, which is called a good work or law. And yet this foundation has no good works, but only wicked works. No one keeps the law, as Christ says, but all transgress it, citing John seven nineteen. See, we're not making this up here. Scripture's making this point for us all over the place. We're just simply confessing what Scripture teaches. Therefore, the building that is raised upon that rotten foundation is nothing but falsehood and hypocrisy, even where it seems most holy and beautiful. In Christians, this repentance continues until death. For through one's entire life, repentance contends with the sin remaining in the flesh, Paul testifies that he wars with the law in his members, Romans seven fourteen through 25, not by his own powers, but by the gift of the Holy Spirit that follows the forgiveness of sins, Romans 8, 1 through 17. This gift daily cleanses and sweeps out the remaining sins and works to make a person truly pure and holy. All right, I'm going to pause there. I love paragraph 40. It's just like, oh, that's a good I can't yeah. really do an angelic voice. Oh, Sorry, yeah, don't listeners. Ask me to yeah. do it, yeah. All five of you, uh, just oh, no. um, please stay with us. We, we have so few of you. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll repent of my, my poor thing. But no, seriously, paragraph 40, isn't that just beautiful? I mean, it's, it's like I, I, I mentioned Professor Ron Feuerhan, um, you know, who, who, who now sings with the, the heavenly chorus, uh, you know, and the saints gathered there. Uh, praising the Lamb upon his throne who has done this for us, right? That is what the Lord's Supper does with angels, archangels, the whole company of heaven, right? We say, and, and, and it, that, that, that Lord's Supper comes and just blows up my sin. It makes me pure and holy, right? It's just a beautiful image, and this is what we're confessing here. All right, with just a couple minutes left, give us your thoughts. Give us your gold. You're a great uh, pastor. So how, well, it, it, this makes me think of uh, when a pastor hears confession, he has one responsibility. If if a guy showed up and he uh, you know picked on my my sister when I was a kid and, and he kicked my dog and I don't know he did all kinds <laughs> of bad things. Is this a country right? song or a confession? <laughs> yeah. All right. So if he comes to me right and he's done all these rotten things to me in my past and we just do not have a good relationship and he confesses all of these sins to me, I I can't lean in and say I don't like you. Go away. Because at this point, it is the pastor is completely and totally obligated to speak the word of Christ because he is there to do that. And now he's obligated to say, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, I forgive you. So where there is confession, there must always follow absolution. That's, that's absolutely true. And what I love is that you highlighted there for us, I as a called and ordained servant of Christ... 
right? I'm just the servant. Yeah. I'm delivering what Christ himself has done for you. And that's the hub of it all. And see, if, if we if we have the false teaching about repentance, about sin, about these things, this is why it's important to confess these things, to recognize the errors in the church, not just because we want to be on a witch hunt and pointing out errors. And sometimes people imagine that about us Lutherans. It's not about that. It's so that we, we get Christ because the the wrong teaching on sin right that that i i can you know that i can receive and then and then i can do these things on my own it nullifies christ it basically says i don't need christ yep. and yep. that 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 just is a terrible thing again it's it's leading us to a, a very shaky thing for when christ returns in his judgment Ooh, i've got more plays on words a wrong thinking about self is a wrong thinking about Savior. Oh, good stuff from Pastor Nava. Thanks for joining us today, Pastor at Concordia Maplewood. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts on the show, good or bad, whatever it is, we'd like to hear from you. You can call and leave your comments at 314-821-0850. Uh, and then you can also email us, kfo at kfo.org, or find us on social media at KFO Radio. Thanks for stopping by today. Until next time, Keep confessing, church.